Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Salim Narala is very intertwined with my and the old 97's history. So it's a little weird that I interview him for Wheels Off because we've spent hours, days, months together in studios, on the road, as friends, as collaborators, as co-writers. It's not that I know everything about Salim Narala, but I know a lot. You know, I know a lot about what makes him tick. I know a lot about where he comes from, how he stands on things what makes him ornery, what makes him excitable, all these things that make him who he is and make him a great artist, songwriter, creative force, producer, even businessman. It was interesting to me to sort of pick his brain about that because so often I'm working with him as a songwriter or a producer. It was fascinating to hear about the things that excite him when it comes to running Record labels, for instance, and and approaching this weird creative life as a job. I learned things during this interview, which I think is um, a sign that it was a good interview. He does try to turn the tables on me a little bit because, you know, I think because we know each other so well and because that's who he is. You know, he he's an artist and he writes songs that tend to be, I think, rather personal and vulnerable, but he is also a producer, so much of which is about shining a spotlight on someone else. And so, yeah, he does attempt to shine the spotlight on me a little bit in the course of this interview. And I let him, and that's fine. I think, I don't think you guys will get mad about that. I definitely enjoyed talking to an old friend, um, with the excuse of letting it be recorded for posterity and for your enjoyment. And I do think you will enjoy it. Please welcome to Wheels Off, Salim Narala. Welcome to Wheels Off, my old friend, Salim Narala. Hello, hello. Thank you, Rhett. It's really awesome to be here. It's nice to see you this morning. It's great to see you. Uh, For the edification of our listeners, from where are you joining us? Well, I'm in the heart of your old stomping grounds, Dallas, Texas. And uh, yeah, right around the corner from Pleasantry Lane, uh, my recording studio, where you've spent, I think, a fair amount of time over the years. Oh, you know, that's right. (laughs) I was was going down a little rabbit hole the other day when, because the Guardians of the Galaxy special is out now. And so our song- Yes, congrats. High five. Thanks. Our song, Here It Is, Christmas Time, has found new life. And I went back and I found the- 2008 recording we made of that wow. song for the with the old 97s for the very first time before I changed the lyric from suckled to snuggled. 
<laughs> good move. But it sounded great almost 15 years ago. Well yeah, done, Salim. It, it brought back a lot of memories. And and you. I think you're like me. You're always, you'll change words 10 years <laughs> later or even, what, 14 years later. Yeah, nothing's so, perfect. Why not fix it? No, exactly. Um, so, Salim, what creative project are you working on at the moment? And how does it light you up? Uh, God, there are so many. Uh, let's see. I guess the thing I'm most excited about right now is about a year ago, I discovered this awesome band called Machine Translations. And they're sort of like the Wilco of Australia. They've been making records since the, you know, the late nineties and they're fronted by this excellent singer songwriter named Greg Walker, who's actually become a really successful producer and i just ended up reaching out to him because there wasn't a whole lot on the internet and now my record label is in the process of putting out a double vinyl first time on vinyl uh version of this record they made called seven seven and it's so good i can't wait for you to hear it it's so that's super exciting and then there's another thing that comes to mind do you know who Mar marty wilson piper is Yes, from the church. The church. And the church had uh, a song I think all your listeners will know, which uh, if you've ever been in a Starbucks or a Whole Foods, what's that song, Rat? Under the Milky Way. That's right. Do you want to play part of it for us right now? No, that's no. not. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, so Marty Wilson Piper uh, has become a good friend of mine, and he's come over from Portugal and we've just started a best of Marty Wilson Piper acoustic album. So kind of acoustic based versions of his songs that he's letting me fully produce and curate. So like the 19 year old who loved the church is kind of going nuts because I've gotten to like drag out some songs that he hasn't played in 32 years, like a song called Russian Autumn Heart. So that's super exciting. And we're finally putting out the record of mine that he co-produced that I do with my band in Nashville in 2018. So those are, is that enough? And what's that record called? <laughs> it's called a nuclear winter and it's coming out next year. It's really exciting. It's been a, over a decade really of work because the, the first songs came in over a decade ago. And then it's been four years since we recorded it because of the pandemic and everything else. I didn't want to put it out until Marty and his wife, Olivia could come over and we could tour and have fun. And it just didn't feel right. So, you know, if anything, I guess I've learned I'm patient, <laughs> nothing else, but patient. <laughs> it's funny. I think there's something about you that I think is special and unique in that you not only write songs and make records, but you, you're also such a, a business person. It seems like you're always thinking in terms of, you know, projects on multiple levels, you know, putting out records, making record labels, find, you know, finding artists from, you know, th this Australian band isn't the first, you know, band you've discovered from, sure. you know, overseas somewhere. And it seems like you're working on a lot of different levels at once. Do you, what do you think that is? Are you restless? Uh, well, well, thanks for saying that. Uh, I'll try to take the compliment first. Uh, 
I think it might be a result of being the child of an immigrant, actually. My dad was a Syrian immigrant, and he applied his hustle, I guess, to the business world. But there are just things that are ingrained in me. And, And I think it's that combined with, I just love music, and there's so much music I love. And I look around, I don't see enough people, like, helping younger artists and helping get music to people that is worthy, you know, that I think is worthy. So like I get upset, I guess, kind of like I hear a band like machine translations and go, why does nobody in America know who this band is? So it's the combo immigrant child of an immigrant brain, maybe with that just. It's fun. you know. it's funny when you describe your dad just then you you sounded for a second like you when you do your dad's voice his hustle yeah his, well I I may do my my dad's voice at some point but he he had quite the voice yeah he was a baritone for sure um when when so when you were a kid and I feel like you addressed this a lot in your songwriting um yeah. and which is which I really love that I feel like it's a really valuable thing for people to um incorporate autobiography in their art and I feel like maybe it's it's been um discouraged in artists recently and I feel like it, I'm mm-hmm. glad that you do it um when you were a kid in El Paso um growing up do you remember when you knew you were going to do music when you were obsessed with music was there a was there a flashpoint for you well great question first of all what a good question that's a tough question i think the first flash the the most defining moment was with my mother so my my parents were a really odd couple that's a nice way of putting it but my mom was a light uh, she was an artist. She was an, uh, she had her master's degree in art from University of Illinois. Wow. And she married a, um, a man that had a master's degree in accounting that had come from a small town in Syria called Jeble. And he was, <laughs> I love my dad, love, love, love my dad, but he wasn't so nice to our mother. And, uh, she was all about music and art and everything. So the defining mo- the moment is, I, I think sometime around 13, I, I came to her with, with I, there was something I didn't understand what it was. I was hearing music in my head. Like I would wake up from dreams and I, I, a song would be playing and I couldn't identify the songs as being like something I heard on the radio. And, and she, she really intently listened to what I was telling her and took it in. And then she said, well, I think these are songs that you're imagining. These are your songs. This is music that you're hearing. And the only way for you to, to make them real songs is to learn how to play an instrument. And, and then that was just like the bing moment. Thanks to my mom, you know, my dad would have never, he would have just been like, you're crazy. What are you hearing? Bells in your head, you know, but in the right hands, in, in my mother's hands, she, she thoughtfully told me what, you know, what to do to go forth. And so that's what I did, you know, figured out how to get a guitar and the you know, rest is history. 
Yeah, there's such a beautiful lesson in that, I feel like. And it seems like you've carried that on with your own kids. You you seem like you listen um, and encourage pretty well. Thanks. I hope so. I'm trying. <laughs> it, you seem so, the same way. Oh, yeah. I try. Um <laughs> Yeah, but so so when you were starting out, it, it must have been, and and I know this to be the case because I know you so well, and also because I listen to a lot of these songs where you address this. But it must have been weird being into the kind of music you were in, being where you were, being you know from the family of origin. You know how how did you navigate those early years and figuring out that you could do this? Well, it was super weird. El Paso was all about the classic rock and I sort of developed uh, an antagonistic attitude toward it. I was, I was trying to get music. It was like little, it's like light coming in from a, a blind that shut, you know, like hearing the replacements on Saturday Night Live or, or KLAQ, the classic rock station had a Sunday night, they would spend records on Sunday night, like the weird records. And I remember hearing crowded house and it was like, boom, you know? Uh, and then I started, I found this magazine called trouser press. Do you remember trouser press? Of course. It was this incredible new wave punk magazine. And I would, my mom, I'd save up all my money from jobs and, and stuff. And my mom would have to drive me to the post office so I could get mail orders. And I would, I would order all these singles and LPs from New York. She didn't, they thought I was nuts, but it, it was definitely like, I was, I, I wasn't like the other kids. Like, I actually remember you'll get a kick out of something. A group of rush fan, like these kids who liked rush one day at lunch, I was like, oh, rush is up. and they, they were all going to, beat me up because <laughs> I like Elvis Costello and they're like, he can't, he can't even sing. And the clash don't even play their instruments. They're not like rush. So, you know, rush is now as we're older that they were It's kind of, if you know, Metallica, I would have understood Metallica fans beating me up without rush. <laughs> you would think rush fans would be a little more. Uh, sensitive to being beat up themselves, maybe. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, did you ever have any, because uh, I know you were the same way. You didn't fit in. And did you ever have any groups of, of young men who wanted to, to bash your head in because you liked David Bowie or whatever weird thing that they uh, thought was weird? Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. I remember... <laughs> They showed us one time in uh, ninth grade. They showed us the great the movie The Great Escape, and there was one of the actors looked like a nineteen eighties Bowie, yeah. and and I, I was um, well known to be a, a big David Bowie fan, and so all the football players during the whole movie kept saying, "It's your boyfriend." Uh, Whatever uh, you know, this yeah. is these are things that that harden us like diamonds, right? No character, man. Yeah, and we got the last laugh anyway. <laughs> it's funny when I hear you describing how you were into music and the things that drew you to music, like a lot of times people will just talk about the music or a lot, or sometimes people will just talk about sort of the um, the trappings of it. And, and those usually are the non-musicians. But you, yeah. I've always felt like your love of music wasn't just, and, and it clearly is probably mainly this, uh, like actually musical, but you've always seemed to really be drawn to 
um the stories the outfits the scene the, oh, the yeah. photographs <laughs> like and you have your collection of books and biographies and i feel like you are such a historian of not rock in general but like the really cool curated kind of kick-ass new wave punk rock the kind of thing that you you know elvis costello and the clash etc yeah well that thank you that's a nice thing to say uh it, i think it goes back to the kid like and, and my mom, my mom was an artist. And and I think what blew my mind about rock and roll was the whole thing, what you just said, like not just the music, but like it was fashion and art and it was everything. And I still feel that way. Like it's, it's, it's not just you know, pop music or popular music or rock and roll. It's you have all of these things you can play with and, and the stories are incredible and it, uh, I, I feel like a nine-year-old even talking about it right now it just takes me right back to that feeling of of this is unlike anything i've ever ever discovered and you can cheat time with it too i remember thinking why are all the grown-ups so damn old they all like 40 year olds looking like they were 65 and you can put on a record yeah, records are timeless. Music is timeless. You you can stay in this capsule. And I was interested in cheating time even when I was 10 years old, I guess. It's funny. That's a theme, I feel like, in, in your songs, the, the mm. you know, the time travel. I mean, not just the yeah. obvious ones like 1979, but you do a lot of um reminiscing you do a lot of sort of wondering at how different things are now than they than they were back then and it's yeah. i realize now as a producer you have a way of not just trying to manipulate the the way your artist is going to sound but i feel like you do a really good job and i feel like a lot of producers most producers would would uh, be smart to take a lesson from this. You do a really good job of challenging your artists um, to think about who they want to be. Like, I feel like that's something you're really good at. Like, a big, more big picture. How do you? How do you want people to see you? Do you want them to just think you're some plaid shirt wearing bunch of dads, or do you want to be like rock <laughs> gods? I mean, these, I'm putting words in your mouth here, but yeah, it's that yeah. it's that sort of thing. Like, you tend to step back and 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 have a bigger vision. Well, thank you. That's uh, I'm, I'm sure I've annoyed some people I've produced with that with that vision. But I, ju I just feel like every record we make is an opportunity to do something great. Right. And that's what I love about you, actually. Every single record you make, every batch of songs that you write, you're you're not just striving to like you never phone it in. You're never like, ah, yeah, no, I guess, you know, just you're, you're, I feel like you've always, you, the bar is up here and you're always trying to be great. And I want everyone to be that way, but actually there's, you know, it's just not the way it is. So why I, do you think that is? Do you think that's fear? Uh, it is. And sometimes it's just people uh, are, have limitations and that's okay. And they get, they, they get bogged down in their limitations. Yeah. Uh, bravado is like the biggest uh, way that I have found uh, that musicians, uh, yeah. they use that 
to kind of cloak their limitations. Um, bravado is a big thing in male rock and roll bands. Haven't really experienced it with with women because they rule in their they're ultimately uh, you know better than us. But uh, <laughs> yeah, bravado. So yeah, limitations I think is a big thing. Uh, it producer brain kind of analyzes bands right away. Like who's the weakest link is the game you always have to play <laughs> as a producer. It's true. And then hopefully the weakest link doesn't act out. You just have to roll the dice and, and kind of cross your fingers. Oh my God. That's so funny. <laughs> I wonder if that bravado is born of coming from, God, see, this sounds so judgmental, but I think you know what the, what I would mean by this. Um, coming from the wrong place, like you don't want to make the world's greatest album. You want to hurry up and make an album so you can go out and get the applause and the adulation. Well, it's true because, as you know, too, the tricky thing about bands is you've got four or five, six individuals, and they're they're all in it for different reasons. The bass player might just want to meet a girl and have a good time. Mm -hmm. The songwriter might have these considered to be lofty aspirations. Like the rest of the band doesn't really understand where the songwriter is coming from. So it's just every band has a different dynamic of where every, and you can't, you can't know where everyone's cut. You can kind of try to figure it out, but it's like a jigsaw puzzle that you're never really going to quite put together, you know? So I feel like, I feel like with your own music, you do, and and then obviously with um, production, when you're trying to navigate all these personalities and manipulate the situation to create the best uh, creative environment. But I, but I wonder when it comes to just your own, self I mean, and I, and i might by this i might mean your artist self or just your human yeah. being self when you're dealing with um internally generated obstacles like the trickier stuff that's shutting you down and holding you back what have you figured out as far as ways to to push through that to get over those humps well another great question um well you might relate to i'm curious how you feel about this but I learned years ago when I first started performing that I could be in a room filled with people who loved me, were sending nothing but positive vibes, but I had this uncanny ability to find the one or five people that were clearly not into it and not loving me. And I would, I would focus on those people. Like I could not, so that all of the, the other great stuff would, and I really had to work on that uh, I, over, over the course of many years and not, not zero in. It's like, it's like a radar. So you're like super aware of the room. I think that's something that makes you the performer that you are. Like some people, it feels like they're putting on the show, but it's all, Within, does that make sense? So, like, is that something that you feel you've you have that ability, or ever got distracted by that, or still <laughs> you, get distracted? <laughs> you keep turning this around on me, but yes, yeah, yeah I do. Are you? I mean, 
yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. It's it's the the transaction is just so complicated, right? Because yeah. there's there's a princess and the P element to it. You know, I don't know what the ratio is, but if there's even like a one percent of the audience that's looking at their phone or checked out mm-hmm. or scowling or God forbid yawning. I catch people oh. yawning all the time. <laughs> the dreaded yawn. Um <laughs> but yeah, that's it hurts and it and it, it does. it's so hard to focus on anything else. But yeah, it's like that um whatever it was, Han Christian Anderson's story of the princess who's they put all the mattresses and they put one tiny pea at the bottom of the bottom mattress and she can't sleep and that's how they know she's a real princess. I guess you and I are the musical equivalent of princesses because it's hard. It's hard. Absolutely. But we put so much pressure on ourselves. One thing that was helpful to me is to realize, and like in sports, for example, if you bat 300, you've got a really good batting average. Like where did musicians get skewed to think that every single person or even if you were batting 700 at a gig isn't good enough. It's like, it's crazy. So I, I keep reminding myself of that. Like, no, 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 that's, that's ridiculous. That's unreasonable. Every single person doesn't need to be into this. Okay. Well, what if, what if this, what if yeah. you, what if you and I and art and artists in general, not even just songwriters, but artists in general, people who are driven despite um, the, the, the sometimes diminishing rewards, despite the, the culture trying to keep them from creating, but driven to create us, us people who are driven to create, what if the yeah. engine that's driving us is fueled, maybe not all the time, but a lot of the time by that, that adversity, the, um, the, the world's, uh, lack of recognition for our brilliance or whatever it is, like, is our hunger created by that one person who's not giving us all the love we think we deserve, or I'm putting it in a crass terms, but like, you know, maybe, maybe it, or how about this? I'll put it in a more positive way. Okay. Maybe the, maybe the way the thing inside us that lets us make music is the thing inside us that is so sensitive that it fixates on the one person that's not loving us at that moment. Well, that makes me think of your new album, The Misfit title. <laughs> I mean, you were a misfit. I was a misfit. I think it, it can be the beginning of the journey, certainly something that drives us at the beginning. But I don't want it. I don't want it for me to be the end because I think – it, what we're talking about ultimately is recognizing that in us healing and not needing that when we play. So I want to be able to walk into a room full of people who don't care about my music and aren't interested and still have a great time and, and, and see the one person that loved it instead of the 99 that didn't that, you know, I know that sounds hippy dippy and everything, but that's ultimately what I, I'm trying to do in my advanced years <laughs> well it's a journey right we should be <laughs> trying is. to get better it is yeah um so you you and i our kids are about the same age and um yeah so you're in you're about to encounter this like literal situation but <clears throat> imagine if you will a salim narala at 21 years old in 2022 and you run into this young version of yourself in today's world and what advice might you give yourself? Ah, oh, man, another great question. 
I only have four questions, Salim. <laughs> well, they've all been excellent. <laughs> I mean, your batting average is very high. Uh, I I think I would I think I would tell myself not to lose touch, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, to not lose touch with the kid that started you down this path because your value as an artist is not measured in how many records you sell or how popular you are. I, th I think I'd say that. And then I have one other thing I'd say, and I'm going to do my dad's voice. Sometimes the thing you hate the most is the best thing for you. <laughs> I love that. Sometimes the thing you hate the most is the best thing for you. Yeah. So on the first one, if the yeah. if the if the metric isn't how many records you sell, how many people uh, love you, um, what is the metric for success? Well, uh, success is a slippery slope because that's you know as a society and as Americans we we've, we've been all been kind of raised with that notion. I I, I don't even I think I would take out success. It's just Stay in touch. The kid, the kid wasn't, I don't know, like the kid I was just loved this and wasn't thinking about paying the electric bill or having two kids and sending them to college or, and the, as adults, as creatives, anybody in the creative field, the more you responsibilities you take on, the more financially resp responsible you have to be. And then you're looking at, your art or whatever you're doing that you started as a kid, not thinking about those things. It's, it's, it's like, Whoa, what did I get myself into? And so that's why I think like keeping in touch with why you started this in the whole, in the first place. Right. I, I don't know if that answer, you know, I kind of went away from. No, I think uh, you're right. Here it off. It makes me think of, when we're kids, we just want to do it, right? Yeah. So maybe success is to is just to continue to be able to do it. Absolutely, and not get bitter. I've seen mm -hmm. you know so many bitterness just kills it, and and you people that get bitter because they're not making enough money, they're not successful enough. Successful. Here we go. Yeah, successful in monetary terms. Yeah, just got to stay away from it. But inevitably, to continue to be able to do it, you have to make a certain enough money to to live. Yeah. I, I mean, for Gotta us, hustle. To, yeah, you're Mister Hustle. <laughs> hustle. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a tricky thing. Uh, but I've I've always respected your hustle. You know, um, ever since even before we were friends, just watching. I feel like you work as hard as anyone I've ever known, and uh, I really admire that about you. And I'm I'm really grateful that you shared your wisdom and let me peek into the brain of, of Salim Narala today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Rhett. And yeah, right back at you. I've always just admired so much how hard you work. You're, you're the hardest working guy I know really in music. And I'm not just saying that because you're my friend. Oh, yeah. well, I can't wait for people to hear nuclear winter. I'm really proud of you and keep it up. Thank I hope you. To see you soon. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know 
that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.